0: Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host Danny B. Today's guest is David Polakoff, a retired battalion chief with the Montgomery County Fire and Rescue where he served for 34 years. Currently an assistant chief for Frederick County Fire and Rescue David teaches writ, Leadership, Incident Command, Engine and Truck classes, along with his class, Command Under Fire. David is also a Deputy Chief with Sykesville Freedom District Fire Department in Maryland and a life member at Kentland Fire Department. David is also an instructor with Capital Fire Training and creator of Side Alpha Leadership Podcast. With that being said, I present Mr. David Polikoff.
1: Hi, my name is David Polikoff, and I am a career firefighter in the Washington metropolitan area. I uh, retired from Montgomery County Fire and Rescue after 34 years, Um, been a volunteer since the age of 12, Um, retired and did uh, approximately five days worth of retirement and then got hired uh, in uh, Frederick County, Maryland uh, as an assistant chief. And, uh, been there for about a year and a half. Um, third generation firefighter, my father, and my grandfather, both firefighters in Prince George's County. Um, and, uh, been, uh, been doing this ever since. Lo- love the, uh, love the job. It's, it's, uh, obviously my, uh, been in my upbringing and been in my family and, uh, I enjoy doing, uh, uh, just everything that has to do with, with fire service. When I'm off duty, I'm usually teaching with with our uh, training group, capital fire training, Uh, travel up and down the East coast, uh, pretty much stay uh, just uh, east of the Mississippi river. We travel all over the place and teach. Um, But uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell.
0: Okay. Uh, Appreciate that. Um, I just want to let you know, I'm not sure you definitely don't know this about me, but I am a huge and I mean a huge PG County fan. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I like, and you know, there's bad apples in everywhere you go, but what I like about PG County is the mindset towards the fire service, the aggressiveness on training and the aggressiveness of wanting to be the best, whether you're a career or volunteer. I have a few friends at Kentland. Um, I actually went there several years ago and did a ride along and everything I saw from social media in person was astounding for me. Uh, I know Kentland gets, uh, a a lot of shit from haters, keyboard warriors, but unless you've been there to see how the guys train, how they operate, it is something to see. So I do want to tell you that.
1: Yeah, we, we, uh, you know, I, I, have been in Prince George's County. I was a volunteer starting about 91 when I moved out of, uh, Montgomery County and into Prince George's County, um, And uh, when I transferred over from Beltsville to Kentland, I had some friends there and uh, it is is—it's an aggressive department. And uh, the, the, the members, the volunteers hold the other volunteers that come there to a higher standard um, that uh, you know, we do our best to do our best. And uh, we don't, tolerate um anything that is in the mediocrity or anything like that if uh, if you just come in there because you want the t-shirt they're going to run you out of there Absolutely. um there's usually a line of people that are waiting just to become uh live in members there uh, i was never a live in member there but uh yeah those guys are top notch and even though i joined uh, when I was a, I think I was still a Lieutenant in Montgomery County. Um, I still, I learned a ton of stuff from those guys, just from the amount of calls, the volume of calls that they ran, the training that they did every day. And, and I can tell you right now is, is for an all volunteer, hundred percent volunteer firehouse, probably the cleanest firehouse I ever walked into. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of the old school guys that are there, like Eddie Lehan, uh, Tony Kelleher and I got there at about the same time. Um, but, uh, Ricky Riley, all those guys that were already there, they held those guys to a higher standard, so that firehouse needed to be immaculate. Um, apparatus had to be immaculate. It was a reflection of who we were uh, in in the, in the Prince George's County Fire Department as firefighters, and how we represented the community. Um, you know, we we got along very well with everybody in the community, um, and and we wanted to make sure that we presented our absolute best when we walked out the, or when we ran calls out that door. So all the hype and everything that you hear on the internet is 100% true. Um, those guys are out the door fast. Um, you know, back in the day when when uh, we were, had a little more freedom to do some stuff, uh, there, we, we would double, triple pull coming out of that firehouse with a couple of engines, rescue engine, the tower, uh, a couple of chiefs cars. So we were pretty self sufficient, but, um, uh, you know. You either liked us or you didn't like us. We didn't care. We wanted to make sure that we were doing the best uh, job that we could possibly do for the citizens in in, in the Kentland area, as well as Prince George's County. And uh, the guys that are there truly love being there. And it is a mindset when when you're there, you have to really be on your a game or you're not going to make it.
0: No, absolutely. Everything you said, I can attest is spot on (laughs) spot on hundred percent. With that being said, do you, was your mindset like that already before joining or, or did, or did it develop after Kent Lane and transitioned into everywhere else you went? When,
1: uh, when I first started as, uh, you know, I started off as a junior member in Prince George's County. So with that, all we did was clean fire engines, mop the floors and all that stuff. But we love doing that. Uh, once I became uh, 16 years old, I was able to, uh, to join, my local fire department where I lived in Montgomery County, I I joined the Burtonsville fire department. My dad was the chief there. And, um, the volunteers that were there, um, even though we weren't even running a thousand calls a year, it was still kind of a a sleepy bedroom community. uh, didn't run a ton of calls, but the guys, the career and the volunteers that were there were super aggressive. And when they ran calls, they handled their business. So I learned right away, you know, if you're going to be in that, um, you know, in in that station, in that department that uh, you got to do your best. You got to, you know, rise up to what they expect you to be. Um, Not only that, my father was the chief there, so I needed to make sure that, you know, I wasn't giving him a bad name, um, you know, coming through there. Uh, I became a high school cadet. So I went to school for four periods a day in the 11th and 12th grade. Um, Three days a week, I was at our training academy, taking fire one, fire two, EMT. Um, And then uh, the other Uh, two days I was at the firehouse supposedly studying um, stuff for, uh, for our classes. So I was in a high school cadet program uh, all the way up to graduation. So that mindset of being with, with say kids that were my age, that wanted to prove themselves on the training grounds. Well, then you had to kind of keep up with them as well. So that level of training and that level of wanting to be better than your peer Uh, put you in the mindset of you constantly got to train. You constantly got to stay on your craft because if you don't, you're going to stumble and somebody's going to overtake you. Um, And not only that, if you, uh, if you don't train, your skills are perishable. People get hurt. People can die. Mm -hmm. So I've always had that aggressive mindset that, you know, when something's on fire or there's an emergency, we are going to uh, be the first ones there and we're going to do our jobs to make sure that we, put our fires out. We take care of our business. So that translated over when I when I um, got hired. I got hired at the age of 18. I was fortunate enough to get hired uh, in downtown Silver Spring, which is right on the DC line. Um, at that time, it was, uh, they were going through an urban renewal. So we were running a ton of calls, a lot of high rises. I ran my share of high rise fires. Um, and you were running with um, the three other Silver Spring stations, as well as Tacoma Park, um, all those companies were within a couple of miles, of each other. So it was a huge competition to be on the scene, get on the scene first, either beat them in or, you know, make sure you arrive on your scene. First, we had little business cards we'd leave on the windshield if we smoked them in their first area. <laughs> so there was a lot of rivalries that went on back, you know, back in the eighties. So you had to be on your game. You had to get dressed quick. You had to get your SCBA on. You needed to make sure all your gear was good to go. You got your high rise pack, your humping steps. Uh, you're forcing entry into doors. You're going to be the first line through the door. So there was a lot of friendly competition. So that mindset just carried over. And and, and I always wanted to be the best that I could be uh, when I was on the job for my brothers, as well as, you know, so I could go home to my family. Um, uh, once I left Beltsville, I, I went down to Kentland, and uh, literally the, the whole game was stepped up. Um, it was a whole nother level. So there was a little bit of a learning curve for me, but you know, fast learner, um, and love being around with us. Yeah. Some of the best firemen that I've ever, ever ran calls with, um, walk through those doors and they're still there. Um, so I learned a ton, uh, being there, uh, even as I went progressed through the ranks. So, yeah, I've always tried to keep that aggressive mindset. If it was on fire, I wanted to be in there, you know, as you transition through the ranks and you become captain, become a chief, you're starting to be responsible for more and more people and, and their actions and, and ultimately their lives. Um, so you really have to start taking a look at what, what our guys are doing. The things that we did back in the eighties, we're not doing now, right? Uh, construction's gotten a little weaker. So you definitely have to keep your, keep your situational awareness, you know, definitely in focus. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, what would you say the culture was like within, uh, Montgomery before you retired?
1: Um, there were um, a ton of guys and girls that were, were totally aggressive. Uh, Montgomery County consists of five battalions. Um, <clears throat> the first battalion, for people that are familiar with, with the Washington Metropolitan Area, the first battalion borders uh, Prince George's County and Washington, D.C. So you're looking at Silver Spring, Burtonsville, Hill and Dale, Tacoma Park. Um, very old um, World War II, pre-World War II buildings, Um, so a lot of that old construction inside the Beltway construction, um, right around the the north, the 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 skirts of Northwest DC and into Northeast DC. Um, So we got our share of work, and there's a mindset. There is, it's a a calling to be in the First Battalion. People that have been in the First Battalion that love it, love it, and when they get promoted and they end up going to another battalion, they uh, they fight. For their, their entire career to get back to the first battalion because that's where they want to be. So it's one of those you either love it or you hate it. And the people that hate it don't want to be there. But uh, had a lot of mutual aid um, from Howard County to to uh, Prince George's County. Sometimes we go into uh, D.C. Um, but uh, and then the second battalion's over towards the where the money is in Montgomery County, towards Potomac, Bethesda, things like that. So towards the northeast side of D.C., Fairfax County, Great Falls, things like that. 4th Battalion is right in the center of the county. That's Wheaton and Kensington. Um, I did some time there as a battalion chief and and as a uh, driver. Another great battalion, good aggressive fireman. Uh, The 3rd Battalion is Rockville, which is like right just north of the 4th, but in the center. A lot of stuff in in the center of the county. You got Gaithersburg, which is probably one of the busiest uh, departments in the country. Um, and then the 5th Battalion as you head up towards more rural parts of the area or, or there's not as much hydrants, uh, rural water supply stuff. Uh, but, again, just throughout all five battalions with all the different things that, uh, that they run up against, super aggressive firefighters that uh, want to go in and do their job um, would just – they don't want to let anybody down. They want to make sure that when they're running calls, they're doing the right thing every single time, um, and they are – uh, you know, there to protect the citizens and make sure that everybody goes home safely, including themselves. But yeah, super aggressive. Most of the departments that you're going to find the mid Atlantic area, you're in, especially in, in Maryland and uh, Northern Virginia, all the mindsets the same. Um, they call it the cog region uh, council government national capital region. So you've got Prince George's and, and Montgomery and Fairfax, Arlington, Alexandria, Washington, D. D. uh Frederick's part of that as well. Um, and you just you just find a, a ton of aggressive firemen that are in all of those uh, jurisdictions, all those counties.
0: OK, uh, what battalion were, were you in charge of?
1: So when I got hired, when I, when I when we moved from Prince George's County to Montgomery County, when I was a kid, we, we moved to Burtonsville, which is in the technically the first battalion. There's no such thing as battalions back then, but that's technically the first battalion. So I grew up in that area. Um, When I got hired in downtown Silver Spring, that's part of the 1st Battalion, Um, so I did my time there and uh and then as i got promoted i went up to germantown which is in the northern part of the county Mm -hmm. and uh Mm -hmm. when i made lieutenant i was in bethesda which is another uh uh very urban more more money in that particular area lots of high rises lots of big houses things like that uh old area and then uh made captain went to Glen echo which is just south of bethesda right on the dc line but super rich lots of money down there so not a lot of fires but uh had a really good shift and, and, uh, the public down there was pretty cool, you know, pretty nice to us. And then, uh, once I got promoted to battalion chief, I was afloat. So I was floating in the first and the fourth battalion. So in my opinion, the two best battalions in the County, um, Mm -hmm. ran a ton of fires, you know, as a battalion chief. So I really got my feet wet right away. Um, and then before I retired, I ended up transferring to the, the, uh, first battalion. So I wanted to retire where I actually started. And, uh, I did two years in the first battalion before I retired and, uh, like I said, the guys, there are top notch. Um, very, very little movement on my part when I arrive on the scene as a battalion chief. And uh, those guys are already set in place, doing their job. I call for, you know, an LCAM cam report. They're giving me, I take command and, and they're already doing their job. I don't have to tell them to, you know, you need to go here. You need to put a line here. You're supposed to, it was nothing like that. Everybody was where they are. They made me look good. And I truly appreciated the work that they put in because the fires would go out very quickly. And, you know, they give the the incident commander all the credit for running a really good fire. But honestly, those guys made me look good every single day. And I love coming to work. To the day I retired, I love coming to work. I would get to work two hours early every single shift for 34 years. I was at work two hours wow. early because I love coming to work.
0: Awesome. No, that, that, that's a testament. That says a lot for sure. Um, for those that don't know, how many stations is in Montgomery County? and What's the amount of personnel?
1: Uh, I believe there are about up to anywhere between eleven and 1,200 uh, career staff, probably have about five to 650 active volunteers. So it's a huge combination system. Dare I'd say it's probably the largest combination system uh, on the East Coast, if not the country. Um, Just a ton of people, large amounts of resources. I want to say 37, maybe 38 stations in the county. Okay. Um, but, uh, just a huge combination system with most of the mid Atlantic, uh, uh, stations are especially national capital region. Uh, most of them are, are uh, combinations for career career volunteer. So, uh, but yeah, and, 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 to Montgomery's credit, that County has about 1.2 million people that live in it. So it's right. very well populated County. Right. You know, compared to the county that I live in, which is Carroll County, we have 170,000 people that live in our county. And the county that I currently work in now, in Frederick, we have about 210,000 people. So 1.2 million people. So obviously you're going to get a ton of calls, ton mm-hmm. of experience. Um, but uh, the, uh, the organizations in the national capital region, they all just top-notch firemen. They, they produce some of the best firemen in the country in the, uh, in the national capital region, hands down.
0: OK. Um, giving credit to the, to the troops on the ground, would you also say the leadership supports that, that that mentality?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. You're, you're going to find I mean, it's within an organization. You're going to find pockets of uh, staff uh, chiefs, assistant chiefs and higher, uh, even some battalion chiefs that uh, may be in it for themselves. Um, Those people usually get flushed out pretty quick and they end up coming out of operations and going into an administration type position. Um, But uh, for the most part, I'd say 90 percent of the uh, of the battalion chiefs uh, solely speak for the battalion chiefs um, in Montgomery County where they were all in it for the guys and the gals, you know, making sure that they were doing what they're supposed to be doing, making sure that they had what they had, protecting them when they needed to be protected. Uh, same thing for Frederick County. Uh, very small footprint for senior staff uh, with the assistants and deputy chiefs. Um, and uh, with the battalion chiefs, you know, they've, they've produced uh, – it's an up-and-coming department, so they have been promoting like crazy. So the battalion chiefs that they actually have working now between special operations training and, and, and uh, operations – um just solid good dudes um really care about their people and they want to make, make sure that they are uh doing what they need to do to get the job done make sure they have the right tools they protect uh protect the fellas if if uh if they need to be protected they get a bat for them um making sure that they're trained same thing with the volunteer side where, where myself and my boss are together we make sure the volunteers get what they need um in, in Frederick County, the volunteers are every bit as aggressive as the career people. Mm-hmm. You know, once they put the gear on, you don't know who's who, right. um, but they're all there to do the same job. And, uh, you know, just a tremendous amount of, of effort go into all the calls. That those, those guys and girls run on both career and volunteer side. And I didn't know a lot about Frederick when I got there, I knew some people that worked there mm-hmm. and even though it borders Montgomery County, um, I never ran up that way cause I was always in the South end of Montgomery, but, um, just uh, being there for the year and a half, the, the people that I work with are just phenomenal and uh, learn something every day. I come to work, you know, with, with the amount of people, the lack of people that they have um, you're looking at about 500 people uh, that work in uh, Frederick County career wise and a, probably another 550 uh, active volunteers. So a total of a thousand people. Right. Um, whereas you look over, you know, in, in Prince George's County, Montgomery County, where there are so many resources. So, the the men and women in Frederick are doing the exact same job, same fires, running the same equipment, same apparatus, same tools, doing the same job with uh, not as many resources as some of these uh, larger departments have. Um, so the uh, there's, it's a testament to to how good those people are and what they accomplish every day.
0: Absolutely, and hands down, this is, which is exactly why I'm I'm a fan. I'm a fan for PG. Frederick, anything Maryland. Maryland also is another area that just has it dialed in. You know, you, you see the trend, low hose beds, everything's neat, station pride, truck pride. To me, that's what makes the fire service great, you know, and, and if and if I could, if we could get everybody on that same page, I think the fire service would be well off,
1: 100%. Sure. A lot of it comes down to, you know, finances, you know, resources, things like that. I think I truly believe in my heart that every firefighter out there, career volunteer in the country want to come to work and do their best. I can't imagine somebody coming to work and saying, I'm going to be a piece of garbage today. That's what I'm going to do. Nobody does that. Um, But they're behind the eight ball when they're running with one or two people on a fire engine and hoping that the next company's coming with a couple of people so we can get one hose line in service. So my hat's off to them. You know, I I feel horrible that they have the lack of resources, um, you know, to, to get the job done, but at the end of the day, they're, they're still doing the job. So Mm -hmm. we're very resource savvy on the East coast. You know, that's where firefighting was invented. Um, and I tell, I tell guys from, from the West coast and, and, uh, you know, from some of the larger departments in the Midwest, I am saying don't forget firefighting was invented on the East coast. So, uh, you know, that that's where it's at. So, uh, um, we have that East Coast mentality, but uh, definitely, uh, I, I think that uh, all the firefighters are out there. They're in the business because it's a calling. Um, you you may have people out there that are in it for a paycheck, but you know right. you and I both know we ain't making a million dollars. Exactly. So you're you're in it because it's a calling, whether you are into the job as much as the super squirrely guy is. Or you're into the job because you enjoy doing the job, but you like being off work as well. So Mm -hmm. you've got an array of people just because they're not into the job as much as you doesn't mean they're not every bit as good as you are. Exactly. Exactly.
0: hundred percent facts you're preaching there. And that's, that's pretty much the message of this whole podcast is yes. And I've come to understand, even though somebody doesn't do things or have the same passion, the way I do, doesn't make them a bad fireman. What makes bad firemen firemen are not training being complacent and being lazy because this job is always evolving and one wrong move, one wrong decision made can, can be detrimental. Sure. So there's,
1: there's no reason not to train, even if you don't have the staffing in the station, if you have a fire engine in your station and you only work two people there, well, that's two people that should be pulling ladders off and throwing ladders. So all fire engines have ladders, hose lines. If they have, you know, they should have hose lines on there. pull attack lines repack the attack lines, try something different. What makes the pack line get pulled faster for only two people that are on the piece of app rat. just go out there and, and, and tinker, figure stuff out. You know, I'm not saying be a keyboard warrior and go into to to, to YouTube and learn all your firefighting skills, but there are a ton of people out there that have good ideas Absolutely. and you take a look at what they do. You know, there, there's things that we've, we've taken from other departments, but we modified it. So it fits, um, you know, our particular department, we just in my volunteer house, we just put a bumper line on the front of the fire. Engine. We always had one. It was a trash line. We decided we're going to make it a bumper line. Now, Kentland runs exclusive bumper lines. So, you know, I go in there and give the guys a bunch of shit that, uh, you know, I oh, trying to be Kentland Junior. I see how it is. <laughs> but we do have some houses that we can nose into that we can pull that one fifty. We have an extra 50-foot section, so if we have to break the nozzle away, we can add another 50 to make it 200. It's just another tool for the toolbox. And those guys were screwing around, and they figured that they can put this together in this way, and it would benefit us. Uh, We just had a fire yesterday, and uh, they ended up pulling the bumper line as the second line into the house. worked like a champ. Um, Long lines, you know, pulling three and 400-foot lines. Mm -hmm. There's a place for those lines on the back of those fire engines. You never know. So you go and you say, well, how do we want to pack this? on youtube search the internet look how people are packing their hose lines see if it works if it doesn't quite work modify it so it does work but exactly the, it gets your brain moving it gets your hands moving and you're always training you're always touching your tools and you're making sure that uh, you know, your skills aren't going to perish absolutely
0: um what would you say um keeps you personally invested to stay positive and loving this job because obviously you love the job because you've been in it I mean, you spent five days in retirement for, for crying out loud. And then you're yeah. like, all right, I'm out. I'm going back in. So,
1: right. And I, I was fortunate that, uh, you know, I saw this particular job on the horizon. I applied for it back uh, a few months, like three or four months prior to COVID. Everything was moving kind of slow. And then once it all came, came together, they were like, look, we want to hire you in this position, but you have to be free and clear from Montgomery. So, okay. So I'm going to, uh, this was in November. I said, I'll retire December 1st. And I went to work there December 6th. Um, but what keeps me vested is I truly love the job and I love, you know, as a chief officer, um, sure. I want to be on the line. Sure. I like to put my gear on and put my pack on and go in and either be a division supervisor or even be on the nozzle, but that's not my, that's not my position in life right now in the fire service. But what I enjoy is going to the fires and watching the guys work and watching them do the job and then come out, you know, knowing that, you know, even though fire was devastating and somebody lost their personal belongings and things like that. Those guys and gals went in there and they did their best. They stopped the fire just like they're supposed to do. And they came out. There's a satisfaction of just watching those guys work. Um, and that's what I get up for every, every single day. And then, you know, in the position I'm in it's a little more administrative than it is operations, but, uh, I enjoy helping develop new policies that are going to make things easier or make things more modern for the uh, for the crews. Um, I love collaborating with the career and volunteer guys when when we want to put new policies together or new training or whatever, um, just to hear what they see, what they've done um, and then just kind of craft it all together. So it's like coming to work and it's something different every single day. It's never the same thing. Right. Um, And that's what keeps me going. You know, they say when you when you retire from the military and you've done the military for 20 years, once you retire, you have to find another purpose. Got to find something, because if you don't, you're going to sit on the couch. You're not going to work out. You're going to eat crappy and you're probably going to die within five to 10 years because you're not moving around like you were. So you have to find a purpose. If I ended up not getting this job, I would have retired within three years. I still have my volunteer house. I love to go camping with my family. So I have things to do. Um, you just have to have a purpose. And right now my purpose is doing the the, uh, um, the stuff in Frederick right now and, and working with some really good people and uh, learning stuff along the way, learning about budgeting. Yeah, it all sounds boring, but it's all part of the job. And it's mm-hmm. just like learning something new. You know, I was a battalion chief for 12 years. It started to get a little stale for me. still like watching the guys do their thing, but it was the same thing over and over again. So that's what keeps me getting up in the morning and coming to work. Now I do it every day as opposed to every third day.
0: Um, would you say, or would it be crazy to think, would the, would you ever, um, i trying to think of the word here. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, would you ever accept a fire chief's position anywhere? Or is that, are you past that?
1: No, I don't want to be a fire chief, like the chief. I've said that a thousand times, like we talked off off, on offline. It starts to get political. And once it gets political, it's very difficult to really be there for the guys. Smaller organizations like um, the organization that I'm in right now, uh, our fire chief is truly he's in the trenches with the troops. Um, I've seen him run calls like get on a fire engine and run calls to make staffing as the fire chief on fire engines. Um, he runs the calls in the middle of the nights that we go to, you know, when when we get a greater alarms, he's there. Um, he's watching the guys, he's got a passion for the job. So it's not as political for him, you know, as a fire chief. But when you get into these organizations, it's just to, and this is just my opinion, I feel like I lose contact of the, of being in the trenches and, doing things when you're the fire chief because there's always meetings and we go to, we have a ton of meetings, but the fire chief has, you know, if I go to, to a ton of meetings, he goes to two tons worth of meetings. So, um, it's gotta be exhausting. And, and it really doesn't appeal to me to be the fire chief, even a volunteer fire chief. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy in my, my volunteer organization. I'm a deputy chief. Um, I'm happy doing that, working with, with our fire chief, um, and working with the other deputy. I, I enjoy doing that, but just to, to be, the man or the in that mm-hmm. top position, it just doesn't appeal to me. And it's just not something that I want to do. Um, I, 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 it just, none of, none of it sounds appealing to me.
0: No. And, and that's, that's totally fine. It's your opinion is well said. I, I firmly believe it. I bring it up because, you know, the, there are your, your, your good fire chiefs. And then you also have a handful of not so good fire chiefs, but ultimately firefighters don't really know, what a fire chief has to do, his day, what he has to go through, you know, whenever something doesn't go our way, or we don't get what we've asked, everyone's, like, oh, you know, fire chief doesn't stick up for us, you know, so I'm trying to open up people's mindsets where we don't really know what he is truly fighting for us, you, you know, for for his or her organization. So um, it, it's just a question I have to ask
1: it's I'm fortunate enough that I can watch our fire chief and what he does on a daily basis. And I can truly say that he does fight for the guys, uh, career I volunteer of, of to getting the things that they need in order for the organization to move forward. You know, he's looking at everything from a 50,000 foot level. He's not looking at it from the front bay door. So he's like, I need to get, you know, you know, one of the positions that they fought for was for a data analyst. Well, the fire service runs on data. And in order to get more money and more grants and more things, you have to be able to produce the data. Um, the, the average firefighter that's riding backwards in a fire engine, he's looking at it like, well, fire chief didn't get this. He went and got a data analyst. He didn't go get us the new Halligan bars. Well, you don't understand. In order to get the new Halligan bars, we need to be able to produce data in order to get the grants to get the money so we can go ahead and buy the tools. It is a huge thing, especially during budget season. It just makes my head spin. But, uh, I mean, they, those guys are on it. So they are – those chief officers, the fire chief is out there making sure that we're getting what we need in the fire service to make sure that it's moving forward, not now, but for the next 10 years, you know, so you have to look way down the road, have that vision of when I leave, if I leave in three, I need to make sure the fire service is set up for the next 10. And uh, so it's a lot of forward thinking. So the people out there need to understand that, you know, the fire chief isn't looking at nuts and bolts and halogen bars and hooks and things like that. He's looking at making sure that we're getting apparatus, the right apparatus that meets the spec that's going to do what we want to do. He's looking at, we need to start hiring more people so we can go from three-person staffing to four-person staffing, which is where we are right now. In Montgomery County, it took over 12 years to get four-person staffing on every fire engine. Right now in, in Frederick, we're getting ready to pull the trigger for seven companies to get four-person staffing. That's huge. And uh, the problem is, is that we have to, to hire these uh, firefighters. we got 80 people going through the training academy right now. Our academy is bursting at the seams. And we're still, applications are open now until the end of this month for another recruit class so we can continue to keep up with the people that are retiring and mm-hmm. continue to put four-person staffing together. So recruiting is, it's, it's been tough, you know, especially for, and uh, in, in all of the metropolitan, Washington metropolitan area, numbers are way down. Um, and I know we're kind of getting off topic, but I remember I would have cut off my left pinky just to get a job. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't have to do that. I got the job, but nowadays it's like you got to beg people to come take the test and, Absolutely. and uh, I don't get it because um the dirty little secret is we make good money as firefighters. Um we're not every time that fire engine goes out the door it's not for a fire unfortunately. Um but there's some days that we don't go out the door at all. And we still get paid. Um right. you know, we, I tell people I I I say we're like the airline pilots of the fire service. We get paid for what we might have to do, you know, just like mm-hmm. the airline pilot. That computer's flying that plane. Mm-hmm. But when shit happens and it has to land in the Hudson, that dude's getting paid good money to land that plane in the Hudson.
0: Absolutely. No. <laughs> you're preaching. Preaching, man. Like I said, I love it. I love it. It's it's, it's 100% facts. Um, fire departments around this country are all struggling. Um, I'm not sure what it is. I, I mean, yeah, it, it's a blue collar job. You're going to get dirty, but there's so much, it's so rewarding at the end knowing that you can help somebody that's having their worst day. So, I mean, it doesn't appeal to everybody, but I, I, I'm not sure what the solution is for that.
1: Yeah, When we do recruiting, like on the volunteer side for Frederick, because I work for volunteer services, um, you know, we, we're we trying to recruit volunteers to come into the department as well. And when we have our, our classes where I, I sit down or actually I go in and I teach, I talk, welcome to, uh, the volunteer service and kind of tell them what it's all about. I said, look, being a volunteer firefighter, just being a firefighter is a mindset. I said, the training that you're going to get in Maryland has some of the best training in the country is going to change, literally change the way you think and see the world. I said, you are not going to see the world. Once you start getting this training under your belt, the same way that the person that works in the office that's crunching numbers all day long. I said, you're going to be able to see a building and recognize what the hazards are right away. You're going to be able to look at a situation and know which direction you need to go to get your family out safe. You're going to be able to go into a burning building without even thinking about it, having all your gear on. Is and and be on autopilot doing the things that you need to do, just like you're driving home from work, listening to the radio, talking on the phone, not even paying attention how you got home. Yet you're still pulling into your driveway every day. So I tell people, I said you are going to learn how to uh, be a critical thinker as well as a creative thinker, because if the public, let's face it, they get themselves in all kinds of jams, and mm-hmm. we have to figure out a way to get them out. They call nine one one so we can help, help them. We don't have a nine one one. You know, we, we are at 911. We don't have anybody to go to. So you're learning how to be a creative thinker. You're learning how to be a, a, a critical thinker. You're learning how to think on the fly. You're learning how to change the direction that you're going at a moment's notice in order to, uh, to, to try to mitigate a situation. If it's not going right, you should be able to change on the fly, be able to pivot right away to be able to, to, uh, execute whatever it is that you have to do to, uh, to make the job a success. Um, those classes are going to teach you how to think. You're going to be able to look at somebody on the worst day of their life that just got hit by a car, maybe have lost a leg and uh, cardiac arrest, and you're an automatic pilot, and you are taking care of these people. You're not even you're looking past the injuries and take and tr- you're trained to to deal with the the worst things, and then you have to figure out a way to decompress that later on. But uh, you are trained in. A way that nobody else on the planet is trained other than police and military and maybe uh, emergency nurses and doctors. Um, So I I tell people, I said, the skills that you're going to get are skills that you're going to take away for a lifetime. And, uh, you know, I found myself when I go to parties with people that aren't in the fire service, Mm -hmm. I'm usually pretty quiet. Because once they find out what you do for a living, they're always asking a ton of dumb questions. You know, it's like, oh, there's a big fire in Jersey. And it was like nine alarms. Did you go? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm about eight hundred miles away from there, but we almost went. We were the next company due. That's what I tell them. Right. But they got it out before we went. So uh, I mean I don't know what we do. No, they don't. They don't.
0: And as you just stated, normally they'd answer when somebody asks, What do you do? I just tell people I'm in public relations. <laughs> and then they're just kind of like oh okay and well, then if, it, but you know it's but like right. I said because the the question you're get get hey man what what's the worst thing you've ever seen and right. stuff like that you just don't want to go down that rabbit hole
1: no and I tell people I tell them I'll say I work for the fire department and uh go, oh yeah well, you know whatever but uh, I'm proud of what I do Um right. you know I've, I've only had maybe a couple of people in my lifetime say what's the worst thing you' have ever seen I always tell them I uh, say, you don't want to know and I don't want to relive it so what else you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, that's usually about the last, that's the end of that conversation. But you know, I'm proud to tell people that I work for the fire department and, and uh, you know, they have legit questions. I'll answer the questions, but, you know, usually at the end of that, you know, usually they're pretty quick, quick, answers. So, you know, we're not going anywhere with this. So we wanted mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. No,
0: no, that's, that's, that's totally fine. Um, so with you being a chief officer, I had two questions for you. First question is, do you believe communication, and this is w- within within whatever organization you're in, do you believe communication amongst the ranks, top to bottom, bottom to top, is a must for a department to succeed?
1: Absolutely. We, we have a problem in the fire service with communication. Um, we have a problem in the fire service with problem solving, and we have a problem with, with uh, communicating with each other to solve problems so they stay at the lowest level. Um, what I can tell... Uh, any uh, senior staff, chief officers, battalion chiefs, assistant deputies, fire chiefs, whatever, you have to talk to your people. I don't care if you have an organization that has 11,000 firemen in it. You have to be able to find a way to talk to your people. You may not be able to talk to all of them, but you have to be able to talk to the people to find out what's going on. Um, You, you, you need to communicate. You should have the freedom to communicate from the bottom up. Um, You know, you have your chain of command. But more importantly, the top needs to be able to communicate to the rank and file. Um, don't keep anything a secret. Let them know the direction that we're going. Let them know if you're on, hey, we're having hard times, or hey, the budget's going to be pretty tight, or hey, this is what we're looking for. You know, a lot of times, um, you don't hear a lot of things that come out of your headquarters and things like that because they're constantly working on stuff. I used to, ha- um, I hear people say like, you know, we 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 had this policy put together, you know, several months ago, and it's just sitting on the chief's desk. Well, there's a lot of things that go into writing policies. and Usually it takes almost a year to get a policy put together and, you know, notice an opportunity through the union and all that stuff. So, but you definitely have to communicate. And we do, I think we do have a problem in the fire service where we lose track of the people that we need to talk to. Um, in the smaller organization that I'm in now, we've got the freedom to be able to just reach out and talk to people right now. It's uh, EMS week. Um, mm-hmm. And we're, uh, you know, we have our senior staff um and the EMS staff It's out in one of the parks in the city of Frederick and they're actually cooking hot dogs and hamburgers and all the EMS units in the city can come and get a free lunch. Anybody that's transporting to the hospital and to the ambulances, once they drop their patients off, come by. And we usually have the senior staff flipping burgers and, and stuff like that. Just just, hey, thanks for doing what you do. Uh you're running a ton of calls. You see a lot of bad shit. We appreciate what you do. I'm gonna be out there tomorrow, uh, you know, cooking hot dogs and flipping burgers because I feel that that's my place uh, to, just to, to at least say, say thank you. Um, I love talking to people. If I can catch somebody, Hey, what's going on? You know, especially with the recruits, they don't know how to act, you know, when a chief officer comes up and starts talking to them, they don't, they don't right. stand at attention like sister. Right. i lighten up, dude. I just want to talk to you. How's things going? You know, I genuinely want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a smaller organization, it should not be an issue for the chief officers to be able to go to a station and talk to uh, talk to the firefighters every Tuesday. Uh, our senior staff goes to a station and we sit there for a couple hours and we just talk about stuff, answer any questions that they have, um, tell them what's what's going on in the county. What are some of the things that we're working on right now? So we do that every Tuesday and we try to hit all the stations within a year. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I would love to get in my car and just drive to a firehouse and just sit down and say, "Hey guys, what's going on? My only issue is that is I don't know a lot of people. I've only been there for a year and a half. So it's kind of hard um, right. to, to just pull in because they're going to look at me and go, what the hell is this guy wanting?" You know what I mean? Right. right. But uh, when I see him, I always talk to people, like, hey, how's it going, man? What's going on? And, you know, if I see him on the fire ground and walk around, hey, man, good job. And, you know, what's going on? And how's station life and all that stuff? So I truly want to know. So I do think that uh, a little bit of communication goes a long way. And uh, we do have some work to do in the fire service. We need to make sure that a lot of these um, chief officers uh, don't forget where they came from, and they have to understand that uh, people want face time with the bosses. They just like to be able to talk. Um, but conversely, the the people, the rank and file, need to make sure that when they're talking to to their their senior staff and all that, they be respectful. I mean, you know, you don't want to just jump up to somebody's face and start, you know, berating them because yeah, you're not going to get anywhere. But exactly. same thing with the senior staff. You're not going to jump down and talk down to the firefighters. We're truly happy that you're here and we want to know what's going on. So, yeah, there, we have work to do in the fire service to make sure that we're still talking to each other. So, uh, so, so, yeah, I think, I think if we can uh, get through how to talk to one another, we can easily solve issues uh, at the station level. Um, if people were just to talk like, hey, I didn't like what you just said right there, instead of saying I'm going to go file an EEO complaint, you know, or uh, an HR complaint or something like that, or something that could have very easily been solved, right. there are issues that need to go through HR, believe Absolutely. me, but, yes. you know, if I don't like, you know, I don't like the what, what you said, or this or that, or you pissed me off, so I'm going to be mad at you and not talk to you, and now the shift has got some you know, poison cloud hanging over top. So we mm-hmm. need to t- learn how to talk to each other. We would go out if a little kid had fallen down and hurt themselves, we would be talking to that kid. We'd be talking to the parents. We're not going to give them the cold shoulder. We should do the same thing for the guys that are in the station. Make sure we're talking to each other.
0: Preach. Preach. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Fire fi- Firefighters tend to hold gripes and it's, <clears throat> it's, it's terrible. So hundred percent correct on that. Um, next question for you as a battalion, as a, no, I'm going to still call you battalion chief. As a battalion chief, do you, your opinion, do you believe it's best to command the scene inside the buggy by yourself or outside the back with the trunk open doing doing battalion work? I'd just we, like to hear your opinion.
1: We uh, Myself, I wrote an article for Fire Engineer, myself and Frank Ritchie. It's called Command Insider Out, um, so you guys can look it up. But uh, we did talk about it. He's northeast. He's from uh, New Haven, Connecticut, so they run all their incidents, like New York and all the way up. From the sidewalk or outside of the vehicle, I am an inside the vehicle windows up uh, in a sterile environment. I can take uh, track of everything. I can listen to the radio. Um, So I'm an inside the vehicle command type of person, uh, unless I'm put in the forward position. But you know, when I'm running command, it's inside the vehicle, the windows are up. Everybody in the service that works in, in the uh, in the mid-Atlantic area or in the in the Washington metropolitan area are all running command from inside the vehicle. So your northern Virginia's Washington, D.C., um, Montgomery, uh, Prince Georges, um, even uh, um, Frederick County. They're all inside of the of the vehicle. And I think that it's we call it a sterile cockpit. I think it's a lot easier, in my opinion, to be able to use my charts, hear the radio. If somebody needs to talk to me, they can either call me on the radio. Um, Face-to-face communication will happen once the second chief gets in the car. Unless it's critical face-to-face information, they can let me know right away. But uh, most of the guys know that uh, if they need to tell me something, they can tell me on the radio. It's easier so you're not missing transmissions. Um, I'm just not an outside-the-car kind of guy, and most of the people in the Washington metropolitan area aren't.
0: Okay, well said. I just like to ask. I like that. It's a new thing I've implemented asking uh, definitely chief officers, line officers that get to ride the buggy battalion vehicles, whatever you want to call it. So, Mm -hmm. all right, cool. Um, In your opinion, what key elements or factors are needed to make a good firefighter regardless of rank?
1: Um, To make uh, I personally, you can't make a firefighter good. They have to meet you halfway. You can give them the best training, especially if they're coming through recruit class or whatever. You're going to give them the best training. Um, And I tell people, you know, when they go through recruit class, don't make this the best training you ever got in recruit class. You need to continue to train and make yourself better. Um, So in order to for a firefighter to better themselves, the first and foremost, they have to want it. They have to want to be better. Uh, if they don't want to get better, if they want to just do the bare minimum or be mediocre, that's all they're going to be. I call them C-level firefighters. C- they're they're only going to be a C-level firefighter for their entire career, um, and they may be able to get away with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you if you want to be a good firefighter, we have to give them the opportunities to grow. So we need to make sure that they've got the training that they need. They got the right tools. They got the the, the best tools, the best apparatus. Um, And then you have to make sure that the officers that are in place, your lieutenants or captains are there, stress that in order for us to be the best, we're going to train together to make sure that we're all on the same page. So we have to say very little in order to accomplish a lot. Um, And in order for that to happen, it's a mindset for your your line officers. They got to make sure that the expectations are clear. This is what I expect of my firefighters. The battalion chiefs need to make sure that their expectations are clear to their line officers. This is what I expect from you guys assistant chiefs, deputy chiefs, fire chiefs, all the way down, those expectations have to be clear of what they expect for or from the officers that are below them all the way down to the firefighters. Once everybody understands what the expectations are, then you need to give them the tools to be able to achieve that. And uh, if you constantly train and you're constantly out doing stuff to make yourself better, um, you will start to weed out the people that don't want to do that. They'll either go and hide somewhere or they'll quit. Um, but in order for somebody to be good, they have to want to be good first. Um, I can't just like, just like we talked about earlier, you might not have the same passion for the job that I have and that's okay, but I can't change that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just going to be that way. Just like if you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, I can't make you change to be a Republican or vice versa because it's whatever I do is not going to make that change. So you have to want to change. So in order to be better at your job, you have to want it. And then you have to make sure that they're getting what they need in order to be better. Or you'll lose those firefighters to other jurisdictions wh- who train better, who mm-hmm. are more aggressive. So you're going to start losing good people. Um, so I-, I can't make you good. I can help you get good in order You have to meet me halfway. It's what I tell my son all the time. I'll help you in school, but you gotta meet me halfway. Yeah. So uh, that's my take on it. You know, you get good initial training from the training academy. You instill um those um work ethic uh in people when they come out of the training academy. Hope you pumped them up enough that um that they come out and They want to continue to move forward and they want to go do that next thing. I want to go from fire one to fire two. I want to drive the engine. I want to drive, I want to tiller the truck. You know, I want to be a lieutenant. I want to be a captain. You know, you want to continue to move forward. We got to make sure that we can help them achieve that, but they have to want to do that.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Well said. Last question. In your opinion, what do you think the American Fire Service can improve on? And I think you kind of hit it.
1: Yeah, I think... The biggest thing is, we need to make sure that the money continues to come in. Um, everything's getting exp- expensive right now. I mean, <laughs> tell me <buddy>. about <laughs> it. A rescue squad, a full heavy-duty rescue squad, is pushing almost two million dollars. You know, nice. it was unheard of. You know, it used to be eight hundred thousand dollars. You know, you know, a, a, a uh, an aerial scope, sea aerial scope, two point one million dollars. So, in order for us to do our best on the fire ground or on an emergency scene, or an all-hazard situation, we need to be able to have the, the best tools to do the job. Um, I would hope you wouldn't send the military out with shitty tools to go and fight the enemy. I would mm-hmm. hope you give them the best. Now, we had that problem in the military, but I think they've, they've started to overcome that. Um, it's the same for the fire service. We need to make sure that we've got the best tools to do the job. We need to make sure that we have the money in place in order to make sure that we have the right amount of staffing on the apparatus. So we're not killing 110 firefighters a year.
0: Absolutely.
1: Granted it's not all because of interior firefighting. A lot of it is health and wellness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're really starting to shine the light on that health and wellness portion. And, uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, We need to make sure we need to hit them at at an early age that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay. If things bother you, Uh, it's okay to talk to people. Um, And put those things in place, have that health and wellness uh, psychologist or psychiatrist on duty. Um, We need to make sure, but we we definitely need to make sure that the money continues to come in, um, whether it's through federal grants, however, whatever it is that we have to do. So we're not running one and two person engine companies in this country. Um, I don't care if you run 50 calls a year. If you have a fire engine in your community, it needs to be staffed with four people. Period. I don't care if they're volunteers. I don't care if they're career or a combination of both. We need to make sure that we have the best equipment to use. Um, the turnout gear is becoming an issue right now. Um, after 10 years, your turnout gear is no good anymore. We know that that's bullshit. Um, but the, but the, the turnout company, the textile companies, aren't going to guarantee their fabrics after 10 years. Um, Set a turnout gear, $5,500 right now. You know, And if you're going to try and outfit 500 people, you can do the math. It's expensive. So it costs a lot of money to run a fire service. And if people want the best uh, to come through their door within five to eight minutes, you're going to have to pay for it, unfortunately. Um, Even if you're 100% volunteer company, you're still going to have to pay for it through donations. So they have the best equipment that's coming to your house, um, fire tax, whatever it is. But uh, that's the way the American Fire Service can improve. Um, we need to understand more about building construction. We need to be able to start squeezing these uh, construction uh, companies, these building companies, saying that you're not building this shit anymore because even though you're saving a buck, we're killing people because of the way that, that, that you're, you're not even using nails anymore. You're gluing things. I'm gluing, together. yeah. So, you know, th- there's a whole litany of things that need to uh, improve in order for the American Fire Service to thrive and move forward. Some of it's internal. Um, but a lot of it is external. A lot of it is based on the government. Um, I think that, uh, you know, people deserve the best. American citizens deserve the best. Um, and the American Fire Service deserves to have the best tools. And uh, the fact that uh, a two million dollars for a fire engine would be two to three years for them to build it. Unacceptable. Um, you know, <laughs> they used to be able to roll fire engines off the line in three or four months. Now it's taken three you know, two to three years. That's bullshit. And that needs to change. Um, And, uh, you know, I I don't know what the answer is. If it's if it's a whole political thing where people are not coming to work anymore, or don't want to work. We need to fix that. We need to figure that out. Um, That's a whole politic thing that I'm not going to get into. But, uh, you know, politics and fire service are linked. We do a radio show on fire engineering, myself and Frank Ritchie, politics and tactics. They're all linked. But uh, in order for the American Fire Service to continue to move forward, we need the best training, we need the best equipment, we need the best tools, we need the best people. And all that costs money, unfortunately.
0: Absolutely. And money money makes the world go round. But I mean, you've, you've hit so many points on the nails. I mean, from the, the cost of apparatus, the delivery time of apparatus, and the biggest thing that goes through my mind with the cost and delivery time. What about these small, true volunteer departments whose budget can't? can't purchase a new fire truck like we're doing we're setting our people up for failure with just that aspect
1: i i I think that uh you know we're fortunate in in our region we have people that can write really good grant proposals um the national fire academy offers these classes for free um you've got a lot of rural departments out there in, in middle america um, that uh, that are hurting for money, mm-hmm. and and they're trying to piece together uh, 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 grant proposals, and they may be getting denied because they're not as polished and nice looking as some of the ones that you see from these larger departments. So, right. you know, I, I would challenge these uh, these chief officers from these smaller departments, volunteer combination, whatever, you know, get somebody that's savvy at writing grants, send them to training to write grants. National Fire Academy is free; you can stay on campus for free. It's a good resource um look out into your your uh to to your neighbors into your to your um your neighborhoods and things like that you've got people that do this stuff for a living and if you say hey would you be willing to come to our station to help us write a a proposal or teach us how to write grants you'd be surprised who you have living uh you know in in your neighborhoods in your organization that that are near your organization that can just come and help Mm -hmm. um but uh, we got to be a little more creative, especially in middle America, where there's not a lot of money. We got to be a little more creative of, of how we are going to uh, to get the money to buy this appar to buy these apparatus, you know, and, and to get the turnout gear, and the hose and nozzles and all that stuff. So we're, we're going to have to get a little more creative. But uh, again, at the end of the day, if you want a good American fire service, it's it's going to cost money.
0: No, absolutely. Um, before we go, uh, you. uh you're you help instruct for capital fire training i always call this like a shameless plug can you talk about what you guys teach where you'll be so other people can find you definitely start spreading out the word because there's so many different great cadre companies out there that are doing good things for the service
1: yeah we um i can i can pull up our calendar and tell you where we're gonna be um but we uh we go anywhere uh that um to, we teach a variety of, of classes, anywhere from engine company operations all the way up to incident command and leadership organization. Uh, we've got a great cadre of instructors. Um, uh, Capital Fire Training has been around since 2009. Uh, started off as a, as a very small company with like four people. Um, and I think we're up to like 10 or 15, maybe 20 instructors now. We, we really keep our footprint small instructor wise. Um, we have instructors from all over the country, uh, not just you know, Montgomery County or Frederick or whatever. We got people from FDNY. We got people from Connecticut, people from down South, people from out in the Midwest that come out and teach for us. Um, but uh, we uh, we teach every. We just got back from Atlanta. We did MAFSI. Um, mm-hmm. We did our Down and Dirty Ur- Urban Forcible Entry class and our Rapid Intervention class uh, and, and uh, Saving Our Own. Um, I think uh, well, we're supposed to be going out to – looking right now, uh, university of Missouri, we're going to be doing our, uh, our fire or our, not our our, 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 um, uh, forcible entry class down and dirty forcible entry, uh, be going out to in August to Butler County fire chiefs. Uh, in September, we do doing the Jerry Fickus Memorial, uh, something that we've done, um, for the last three or four years. It's a rapid intervention and in saving our own class, um, to, uh, to honor the uh, three Delaware firefighters that lost their lives in the line of duty uh, a few years back. Um, so we go out there and we do that. We'll be at the firehouse expo in September uh, teaching our uh, varsity truck ops class, as well as uh, down and dirty urban forcible entry. Um, we just got back from uh, FDIC where myself and one of our other instructors were teaching um, command under fire, which is our incident command class. Uh, it was a four hour workshop. So we stay relatively busy, but uh, you know anybody that wants to find us, you can find us at capitalfiretraining.com. Um, you can look us up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're all over the place. Um, but uh, definitely, uh, one of the good things about our class is is that uh, we'll we'll sit sit down and talk with the chiefs uh, on the phone, and we'll ask them to send us a copy of their SOPs. And then we'll tailor whatever class they want to match their SOP. So we're not going out there saying like, well, when we're teaching trucks class, we're going to teach you what a six man truck does when they, the, the best they can ever do is rally a three man truck company. So mm-hmm. we get the information for them and then we tailor the class to make sure it's realistic for them. So when they walk away, it's going to work for them. Um, <clears throat> same thing with any of the classes we do. We do that. So we, we pride ourselves on, on making sure that we tailor the classes. So it fits uh, whatever company's hiring us to come out and teach. Um, but uh, with that, I do, uh, and I'm going to do a shameless plug for my podcast as well. I do uh side alpha leadership. Uh, I've had that podcast for about five years and I just pretty much talk to anybody from any organization, whether it be police, fire, military, nurse, doctor, um, office worker, anybody that's in a leadership, um, role and just kind of pick their brain about leadership, what it means to them, um, how, how they, uh, interact with their people, how they get the best out of their people, how do they get, uh, results. Um, and sometimes with the fire department conversations, it, it evolves into other things. Um, but, uh, most of it is how we interact with our people and how we get the best out of our people. So, uh, I've been doing that for five years. Love doing that. Get to talk to just an array of people that I've never talked to before. Um, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, you know, for the stuff that we do. We stay busy, uh, we do a lot of stuff for uh, with Capital Fire. We do a lot of stuff for Firehouse as well as fire engineering. We have, you know, people doing different things for different uh, magazines, uh, different radio shows and things like that. So. We definitely stay busy. Try to keep ourselves out there. Made a lot of friends along the way um, with other training organizations. The cool thing is, is that we get along with a lot of these tra- other training organizations. Where there'll be times where they're running short with people, and we'll throw a couple of our instructors over there with them so they can get their class up and running. Um, and it's happened with us where we might be an instructor short, maybe some tool missing some tools. Um, they'll lend us some tools. So it's actually pretty good. You know, the, the true real training organizations that are out there that are that are definitely beating the pavement and doing it all the time, very serious about what they're doing. We all get along because there's room for all of us in this uh in this business. So being able to 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 grab an instructor from another uh training organization and come over and help teach with us because we're an instructor short, it's pretty cool. You know, it's a pretty good feeling then we all go out and drink after that all together. So it's pretty neat.
0: No. Awesome. Awesome. Uh well David, this has been I've thoroughly enjoyed this one. Um, you're just just the way you're dialed in, the way you talk. I, I just I like talking to to passionate firefighters, but I love when I find passionate chiefs who never forgot where they came from as a firefighter. So this has been awesome. Uh, I appreciate having you. Appreciate you accepting the invitation. Um, don't leave just yet. We'll we'll wrap up uh, behind the scenes, but uh, I just want to say thank you very much, sir, for for tonight. It was my
1: pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.